Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala rasulullah. Wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Welcome home everybody. Welcome to, uh, I think for a lot of you, for everybody, this is probably the first time in the new masjid. Okay, mashallah. So we're still working on some stuff. They got some design stuff that they're doing. Uh, but generally speaking, lots of progress made. One request, um, they did just paint today. And so, <laughs> so all of you have paint on you. No, I'm joking. It should be dry by now, but early on in the drying, you don't want any like, uh, you know, pressure or anything on it. So if you could uh, try to avoid getting on the wall, inshallah, just cause normally it's totally fine. But, um, and we usually have the back jacks, but the reason why we don't have all of the setup that we normally do is because um, we are just meeting here temporarily for cleaning purposes, according to the city of Carrollton. So <laughs> they're doing inspections this week, and we're, uh, you know, technically, because there's, uh, you know, bismillah, inshallah, right? So technically, yeah, they're, they're doing inspections. So the, the one thing that I'll ask everybody, inshallah, the number one rule for tonight, number one rule, is that uh, the first rule of hard work is that, what? Anyone watch Fight Club? Nobody watch Fight Club before? Okay, don't talk about hard work. Okay, but the first rule or the only rule tonight is that we need to leave this place as if nothing existed here tonight. So after everything's done, we need to like make sure that the cleanliness, you know, we can't like leave random stuff around. We just have to leave it as if nothing happened because inspections happen from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. And so we don't want there to be, and that's part of the reason why no furniture was brought out, none of that was brought out, because it's just more potential for them to, and most of the inspectors are cool, you know, they understand, they're like, yeah, it's fine, no big deal. Uh, that's how we kind of got away for the last six months on that side. But if you do get one inspector that's new and they're just not feeling it, right, and believe it or not, Islamophobia is a real thing. And so if that person is like, what is this again? Oh, it's a mosque, you're Muslims. And then they find one thing, and I'm, I'm talking like one thing, okay? When you submit the plans, to have these things built. If your alteration from the plan is like one foot off, then they can technically withdraw the permit from the whole thing, make you resubmit, it's really annoying. And obviously with Ramadan being this coming weekend, inshallah, we wanna make sure that we are on track for Thursday's approval because we have our first all week here Friday night, inshallah. So we're trying to make sure that, you know, it's all done uh, by then. So that's my only request, inshallah, is tonight, we're going to, you know, obviously everyone here is welcome. I'm happy to have everybody here. But <clears throat> as everybody makes their way out post-Maghrib, then just make sure, look around, 
Don't make it too clean because that's also suspicious. <laughs> we need to leave just the right amount of dirt <laughs> to make it look uh, normal, inshallah. Okay. Uh, last week, obviously, because of the storm, the tornado, uh, we did not gather together uh, out of safety. And we did a little bit of a, a different topic just because I didn't want people who were coming to this every Monday to miss out on the next part of the, the, the surah that we're covering. Um, so we did a little bit of a, a different take. We did a hadith from this book that we're going to cover in Ramadan, inshallah. I'll talk a little bit about the Ramadan calendar towards the end of the session, inshallah. Um, but tonight we're covering the final section of this passage, this initial passage of Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, Allah has described three groups of people. He's described those with taqwa. He's described those who disbelieve. And then now he's describing to us those people who uh, claim they believe, but their actions and their heart does not line up with their claim. And in this description, there is the most detail. Because as we talked about, it's a very complicated, it's a very complex spiritual struggle. Hypocrisy is not something very simple. There are the, there are the, there's the hypocrisy that is intentional hypocrisy, where a person like knows that they're a hypocrite and they are scheming in that way. So you had like people in the time of the Prophet who were formerly like leaders, governors, you know, whatever of their tribes. And then when the Prophet came to Medina, they had to give up their power and that started their descent into hypocrisy. But then there's also hypocrisy that is not completely like cognizant. The person's not cognizant of their hypocrisy. So it's not something that's intentional. It's more of a byproduct of neglect, right? And so as we're reading these descriptions, of course, it's easy to understand that there are people in the life of the Prophet ﷺ who thought this way. But then there's also the potential for us to struggle with this uh, very challenge, right? And so what were the uh, descriptions we talked about? We talked about a few of them. You know, they say that which they don't mean, right? So they speak with their tongue, that which is not in their heart. As Allah describes them with. Um, they mock faith and belief when they see it, right? They don't have an, uh, a reverence or a respect for it. It's not even about listening to it. They don't have the ability to respect it. Seeing people practice their faith with devotion becomes a, an, a, a, you know, a topic of humor, becomes something a mockery for them. Um, and then eventually, after enough you know, of this path, kind of you know, deviating away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they eventually just kind of like boldly admit that they think that people who practice faith and, and live their life according to Islam, that they are just utter fools. And they are people who are misguided and they don't actually know what life is all about and life is worth living in this life and the akhirah is just like a false promise, etc., etc. So hypocrisy grows, right? It can, it can compound. If you guys have ever seen like uh, an, a snowball, right? I don't know if you guys have ever seen snowballs before in Dallas, but this year, mashallah. But you know, you can easily roll a snowball and as it rolls, it picks up more snow and it becomes larger exponentially. It's not just like a tiny bit, like it becomes a completely different size as you roll it you know, uh, down the hill. And it's the same way with hypocrisy. It starts very small. The Prophet once described riyah. Riyah is showing off, okay? And he described riyah and he said that it is harder to detect than a dark ant on a black rock in the middle of the night. It's so difficult for a person to, and what is riyah? Riyah is showing, doing something that should be for Allah, but you're hoping to get praise from other people. So like I'm praying or I'm donating or I'm reciting or something. And it should be for Allah, but in, in, in my heart, I'm like secretly hoping that people praise me for it. That's riyah. And what it is, is that you're doing an action that should be for Allah, but you're ultimately not thinking about Allah. Okay, now I know that for us, it sounds a little bit like, Oh, okay, that sounds pretty bad. Well, what, would it, what would your reaction be if I told you that on their wedding day, the wife or the husband said, I do, but they're thinking about another person, right? I see the cringes already. I see some tears, right? I hope it didn't trigger anybody. It's, 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 it's devastating to think about that, right? I mean, this would be the tearjerker scene of a movie if the person was saying, I do, and they're thinking about like a, a, a lost love that, that in a previous life or something. So now, Allah's example is even greater than that. Allah is not some like, you know, uh, uh, you know, love that you had, some fling in high school or college. Like Allah is your creator. And while you're doing something that's supposed to be for Him, you're thinking of somebody else? Like how devastating would that be for someone's faith, right? It's, it's effectively 
spiritual infidelity, right? So we hope that Allah protects us from that. So all of these things are from like the realm of nifaq, of hypocrisy. Now he finishes, Azawajal, he finishes, God finishes the description of these hypocrites with a few uh, different descriptions. There's three. The first is he said that مَثَلُهُمْ كَمَثَلِ الَّذِي اسْتَوْقَدَ نَارًا فَلَمَّا أَضَاءَتْ مَا حَوْلَهُ ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ وَتَرَكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتٍ لَا يُبْسِرُونَ That they, they are like a people that work hard to establish and to kindle a fire. And once they've established a fire and they've kindled that flame, the moment they've done that, the flame, it kind of like the blaze lights up and then all of the light goes from around them and then Allah Ta'ala snatches it away. So they have that brief moment of illumination, but then it's too bright and they're left in utter darkness. Allah Ta'ala says, And they can't see. So we talked about this. We said what? If a person engages in deviating from the straight path, okay, for enough time, and then they decide like one day and they treat faith like a light switch. That you know what? One day I'm just going to like become better. This is like a common, uh, you know, Muslim... Um, you guys ever heard the Hajj line? Like one day I'll do Hajj inshallah and then, and then everything will be good. Like I'll be better then, right? After Hajj. That sometimes people even tell you that. Like you'll even have people that will like tell you, like live your life, you know, live your life. Do Hajj and then come back and be a saint, right? And if only it were so easy, you know, if only it were that simple, then everyone would do it. But the problem is that the heart it rusts, and you can't clean rust, right? Like, t try to take like soap and water to rust. Well, that's part of your problem, right? It's the water, but try to just clean rust off. It doesn't work. It's not like dirt, it's not like dust. That stuff wipes off super easy. But if you let rust develop over time, and Allah uses that word rust, they have rust on their hearts from what they used to do, and they didn't. Those people didn't repent, they didn't feel bad, and the rust was there. What do you need to do to get rust off of something? It's a very in-depth process. I once had to do it, it's crazy. I like ruined a cast iron pan that I had. And I was like, I, I, you know, I'm Muslim, so I'm like, I'm, you know, in part I'm cheap. And so I'm like, I'm not buying another one. So I'm gonna destroy my garage to clean this one. It requires a lot of baking soda, some vinegar, and a lot of lemon, right, for some reason. And even then, subhanAllah, and I'm not making this up to go along with the tafsir, wallahi, this is just me thinking, it's still, as good as I could get it, it wasn't perfect. Like, as good as I could get it. They were like, let it soak for an hour. I let it soak for 10. <laughs> they were like, do this, do that. I was like, you know, they're like, use two lemons. I was like, use five. You know, lemons are cheap. I'm balling, right? So I'm like, throw more lemons in there, right? I was like, salt bay with lemons. And I did so much. I did the process over and over again. I used Zemzem. You know, like there was just, I did everything necessary. And I got all the rust off of it. I got all the rust. It's gone. This pan can be used, but you can tell that something's perfect. You can tell that it had to be restored, okay? So now imagine the heart. If a person thinks that they can just do whatever and say whatever and watch whatever and listen to whatever, and then one day they can just, you know, oh Allah, I'm back. The, real, the reality is it's not that easy. Ibn Atta'illah, he says, is very powerful. He says, I want you to imagine that your heart, well, okay, he doesn't say it this way, but he describes it. He says, you know, if you're on a journey and you have, he, it's kind of a grotesque description, but you guys know, like, historically speaking, right now we have, you know, hydro flasks and camelbacks and whatever. We have bottles that we use for water. What did they historically use in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu to drink water? Huh? They used to use what? Yeah, like they used to use, I'm just going to say skin, that's <laughs> okay. They used to use like the skin of animals, okay? Like they used to basically imagine like your leather bag, okay? They would, they would sew it up right, real nice, they would stitch it, make it really like nice and tight, and then they would put water in it, and that's what they would use. Or they would use other uh, tissue from animals, okay? They would make their own, um, you know, water containers. I know some of you are grossed out. It'll be sold at Whole Foods soon enough, okay? Inshallah, <laughs> everything comes back. So, um, Ibn Atta'illah gives a very powerful statement, man. Honestly, when I read this for the first time, I started crying on the plane. And they were like, what's wrong? And I was like, just leave me alone, man. Do you want cookies or not? I was like, no. I was like, I want my mom. Uh, so, Ibn Atta'illah, he said, uh, 
He said, don't be like the traveler in the desert that is traveling for a long time. And every time their heart, every time their body gets thirsty, they think to themselves, I have water, I'll be fine. And then he says, and finally, when the traveler, when you get to a point where you're so thirsty, you can't keep going, the traveler pulls out their water skin that they thought had water in it, and they realize at that moment that there was a hole in the bottom. And the water's gone. And they were not, Ibn Atallah is making an analogy for faith. He said, like, so many of us are going to be going through life thinking, like, when I get to that point, my iman will still be there. Like, when I get there, my iman will be, I'll just be able to reach in, get my iman, and all of a sudden my life will change. And he said, but little do you know that you might be the traveler who has a hole in their water skin. And by the time you've come to that realization, you realize like I need to transform my life and become a better mu'min and get closer to Allah, the iman has already escaped from the vessel that you thought was carrying it. Your heart has already opened up and the iman is gone, right? So this is the example that Allah Ta'ala gives for the first group. That they basically, by the time they came around to seeking out the guidance of Allah, right, it became overwhelming for them, right, when it was presented. And we know this, when you turn on the lights after a dark room, right, a, a night of sleep in a dark room, it's very bright, right, it's going to be irritating. And this is what happens when a person hasn't prayed in a very long time. And then it's like, well, we got to pray. It's like, man, I'm so busy though. How am I supposed to just drop everything and pray? But then meanwhile, you see very successful, very busy people somehow able to manage it. What's the difference? The difference is one of them has it built into the regimen and one doesn't. And it's very difficult to add things to your regimen if it's not already there. So the hypocrites, by ignoring Islam for this long, it's really hard to integrate elements of faith back into their life. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. So it's very important. It's very, very important to keep things connected. Okay, the next example, Allah Ta'ala says, That they will be deaf, dumb, and blind, and they will never be able to return. Then he says, and remember this one, That these people, they are, uh, uh, they're outside and it's, it's raining and it's thunderstorming and the, the flash of lightning comes and the clasp of thunder, right, that loud noise. And even though thunder is not dangerous, thunder is the byproduct of what created the lightning, these people try to protect themselves from the danger that they think. And instead of taking shelter from the lightning, what do they do? They put their... They put their ear, fingers in their ears. Is that going to protect them from lightning getting struck? No. So what is Allah Ta'ala telling us here? The tafsir very beautifully says, when a person ignores Allah for a long enough period of time, ignores Islam, ignores their heart for a long enough period of time, when push comes to shove and they have to protect themselves, they're going to try, all their effort will be there, but they will be misguided and they won't be doing the right thing. So they're going to they're gonna be taking what they think to be precautions, but because they're so disoriented from knowledge, from what the Prophet would have recommended, then they won't be able to actually do the right thing in that moment. Okay? And not everything that we think is the right thing is extremely logical. Okay? What in Islam is something that's been commanded, but it's not like, it's not something you would have thought of. Anybody? Wudu over your socks. Wow. <laughs> Who's that? Who said that? Wow, mashallah, that's legit. That's literally what I use in class. Wudu over your socks. Am I about to change everyone's life? People are like, wait a minute. I can do that? It depends. Okay, your socks, your socks have to be a certain thickness and this and that. So just avoid it for now. But, or just wear really thick socks. Go to REI and get a pair of thick socks, inshallah, or leather socks. Wudu over your socks, okay? It's called masah. You can wipe over a certain kind of sock and wudu instead of taking off your sock, okay? You guys know this? If you already have wudu beforehand, okay, for a certain amount of time. If you already have wudu beforehand and you put on your sock, after then breaking your wudu, instead of removing your sock, you can wipe over it. Now remember, there's qualifications for this. So I don't want you guys to be doing this over like flip-flops. Like, it's kind of a sock, right? Who defines sock anyways? No, it's defined, trust me. Okay? But this, actually, very interestingly, the Prophet ﷺ's cousin, Ali radiallahu he actually used this very same example to prove that Islam is not solely logical. Islam actually has incredible amounts of logical flow in it, right? Like the usul of, of 
the principles of Islamic law are incredibly sound, logically. But there are moments, there are moments in which God reveals and ordains and commands or prohibits certain things and to the like to the to the to the uninitiated, right, to take from Bain, to the uninitiated into Islamic law, it seems like it doesn't make sense. And Ali actually said that. He said, which part of your foot touches the ground when you walk? All right, we need to, this is one of those moments, we're not even fasting yet, and everyone's mind is like, <laughs> are we mentally, <laughs> which part of your foot touches the ground when you walk? Top or bottom? Bottom, okay. The bottom of your foot. So Ali radiallahu anhu, he said, if this religion were solely based on your mental intellect, like your logic, and it only, it always had to make sense with the way that you thought, he said, where would we be wiping our feet during Mesa? On the top or on the bottom? On the bottom, because that's the part that is making contact with potential impurities, right? But when you do Mesa and Fiqh, you actually wipe over the top. Okay? So he was trying to make a point, and the point is that Utilize your logic as it's a gift from Allah, but never replace the gift that Allah gave you for Allah Himself. Like if Allah tells me to do something, I'm not going to take a gift that He gave me and say, well, I don't know. Right? Like this logic you gave me, it's leading me to a different conclusion. Allah is saying something to you and to me, and the Prophet is telling us something. Logic, the gift that we've been given by Allah, right, and trained to use by His Messenger, we don't substitute Allah or His Messenger with our logic. Okay, that's what submission... Uh, uh, you know, feels like and sounds like. So these people, they stick their fingers in their ears and they think that, okay, now I'm safe, even though they're not safe from the lightning that they are scared of, okay? Then the last one, this is one that we haven't covered. Okay, this one's pretty dope. MashaAllah. You ready? Allah says, for these people, it is as if the lightning were about to snatch away their sight. And then he says, whenever the light flashes. Have you guys ever been outside on a really dark night? Yeah. And when, it's, when there's like some sort of lightning or some sort of... What happens? It's pitch black, you can't see anything. And then when there's a flash of light, you can see everything temporarily. For a quick split second. So the lightning flashes. This used to happen to actually when we were camping. There used to be like lightning storms with no rain. I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of those. So there was like lightning with no rain. It was just very eerie. So it would be pitch black because we're on a campground. The lightning flashes. And as it flashes, you can see everything. It's lit up completely. And it only lasts for like that brief second. That brief, not even a second. And then it becomes pitch black again. So Allah Ta'ala is describing that. And he says, whenever the lightning strikes... They walk. Mashofihi. They walk in that lightning strike. Why do they walk? Well, huh? Very good. MashaAllah, Nasma. When do you walk, guys? When you can see. If the room is pitch black, if this building were pitch black, and I don't mean like, oh, I can see, I can use my phone. I'm talking like you can't even see your hand in front of your face. Are any of us going to walk anywhere? No, we're too afraid. The only time that we venture forth with our feet is when we can see in front of us. And when we can't see, what do we start to do? All right, we start, you use other senses, right? So you use your hands, you might even try to like listen to things, right? If, you're, if, if you watch too many scary movies, you're like throwing paint cans down the hallway to see, okay? You're trying to utilize, because your eyes are completely useless at that point, subhanAllah. Because they haven't adjusted to the darkness and you can't see what's in front of you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing these hypocrites and he says, they only walk when there's a lightning flash. But then he says, When the darkness returns back over them, what do they do? They stay still. Then Allah says, it's so interesting. If Allah wanted to, He could have taken away their sight and their hearing. He could have removed every faculty that they had to feel comfortable walking in the first place. This one gets really deep, so I need everyone to put on your floaties. I'm about to go swimming in the ocean. What is Allah Ta'ala saying here? He says, Allah Ta'ala is saying that in the journey of faith, there comes a point when you have to ask yourself, 
do I trust Allah or do I trust myself? The believers trust Allah. They walk whether it's light or dark. Allah says go and they move. The hypocrites, even though they walk, right, we're all walking in the same path kind of, they only walk when they can see. So their faith is conditional. I'll go on the straight path as long as I can see it. As long as it makes sense to me. The moment I can't see it, I stop. How many of us this describes us? Like Allah asks us to move forward and trust Him. Right? You get a job offer. It's at a company where you know that you're uncomfortable. You don't feel right taking a salary from a company that sells what they sell or does what they does. Does what they do. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> does what they does. My daughter, Iman, English class. Today she was like, uh, she sang the ABCs. She made it really well through the first half. And then it, it went to like, Q-S-R-T-U-W, now I know. And I was like, you don't actually. You don't know your ABCs, right? <laughs> we'll get there though. <laughs> I didn't say anything. My, my, um, my brother-in-law kind of like started chuckling and she's like acutely aware of when people are watching her. Like acutely aware. So he, he kind of just started like chuckling under his breath and she looked at him. She's like, what? What's funny? And I was like, oh my God. And then like my brother-in-law was like, nothing, nothing. Where'd you learn that? She's like, I don't know. And we were all so afraid. I told you, she's the scariest person I know. My daughter, three years old. Okay. So how'd this come up? Okay. So, oh yeah, <laughs> when Allah Ta'ala tells us to do something, right? Sometimes we withhold following until we decide that it makes sense to us. So you get a job offer or you get something and you know that in your heart, you know, this is probably not gonna make Allah happy. But instead of being patient, like turning it down or waiting or something, you're like, you know what, like, I need to do what I, I need to do. I got to do what I got to do. And in that phrase, while it's interesting, while Islamic law might even be able to provide a dispensation for that, depending on the fatwa, depending on the scholar, spiritually, it's really hurtful. It's really hurtful, right? Because why? Because us, the, the, the core characteristic that every relationship needs to have to succeed is trust. Like, if, if you don't trust me, if I don't trust you, like, why are you guys here? You're here because you trust Roots, right? Like, you wouldn't come here and listen to the, the, the dis, uh, discussion on the, the book of Allah from some random person you didn't trust. I know that that's weird for me to say, but remove me. Why do you listen to Sheikh Mikail? Why do you listen to Sheikh Abdel Nasser? Why do you listen to Imam Suhaib or Sheikh Yasser Qadi or any of, the, any of these scholars? Why do you listen to these people? Ustada Fatima, Ustada Atim. Why? Because you trust them. If trust is removed, then there's nothing there. Trust is the core of that relationship. So if I don't trust Allah enough to do what he's telling me to do, unless I can rationalize it, then is there trust? No, right? Like if somebody asks you to get something or do something, then your trust in them is gonna dictate like how well you do it, how urgently you do it, how much you question. And all of us have been there. Have you guys ever been in a moment where you weren't trusted? Where you were asking for someone to trust you and they weren't trusting you? How did you feel? Hmm? Offended. Offended? Why? It's like they question my character. Okay, because you felt like it was questioning your character. Very good. All right, you're telling person like, trust me, and they're like, okay, but just tell me one more time. And you're like, all right, what else? How else did you guys feel when you weren't trusted? When you were clearly telling someone to trust you? Heartbroken. Heartbroken. Okay, very good. Why? Okay, so maybe they don't trust you because of something that they see. Okay, very good. Anyone else? When someone doesn't trust you and you're like trying to build that connection, ultimately what it comes down to is that they don't trust that you know what you're talking about. So if the hypocrite only moves when they can see, they don't believe in Allah more than they believe in themselves. Some people, and this is going to get really uncomfortable, some Muslims only believe in Allah in so much as they can believe in themselves. Meaning what? I can only understand Allah 
as much as I can understand myself. Why would Allah do that? Right? Have you guys ever had a moment where you're like, why would Allah do that? And then months or years later, you're like, oh, I totally get it. Right? I mean, so many stories. I'm seeing a lot of people in the room nod their heads, particularly older people. Because when you're younger, you're blinded to this. Completely. Young people are so confident. And when I say that, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it in a disrespectful way. Your confidence sometimes is your strength, right? But you have, like Nick Young. <laughs> but you have to know, that was a basketball joke, okay? But you have to know when to mute your confidence and submit. And when you get older, you've gone through enough moments where your confidence has burned you to where you become comfortable and very familiar with the mute button, right? There are times, even in, in, with your relationships with others, where you think you know better, yes or no? Anybody? Think about all the times you were leaving the house and your mom was like, put on a coat. Anybody have that issue? You're like, why? It's 70 degrees. Wallahi guys, can I tell you something? I'm 34 years old. This happened to me on Saturday. <laughs> Saturday, what was the temperature here? 80, right? Okay, for those of you who ran the race for refugees, it was like 100, okay? 80 degrees, right? I'm flying to Charlotte, and I'm giving a talk at Virginia Tech. I'm talking to my mom. How about you just take your jacket? I'm like, mom, no, seriously. I, fl I like flying, especially if I'm flying there and back same day, with nothing. Just my phone a USB cable in my pocket, and my keys, that's it. And that's just super nice. You don't have to worry about a bag, nothing, right? Mom's like, take a jacket. I'm like, mom, no, please. 34, acting 14, mom, it's gonna ruin my outfit, right? That's actually what I said, it's gonna wrinkle my shirt. And she's like, just take a jacket. I'm like, no, mom, it's okay. And she's an Egyptian mother, so what did she do? She probably made dua for snow. <laughs> it was probably 75. <laughs> and I get to Charlotte. It's like 61. Like, See, jacket. I grew up in Chicago, man. This is balmy. This is spring. I get in the car and I start driving. I have a three-hour drive from Charlotte to Blacksburg, Virginia, which is a Virginia side campus. I'm driving, and we'll lie every 30 minutes, the temperature drops five degrees. <laughs> I'm not, we'll lie, I wish I were joking. Like, I wish I were joking. I get to the campus, it's 34 degrees. And I just laugh. I literally laugh in my car, like a person that would scare other people who live in my car. I'm laughing, because I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fully grown adult man who's married to two kids. I have a bachelor's and a master's. <laughs> and I'm too dumb to listen. Get it? I'm sitting here and I'm like, how inconvenient. And now I have to walk on this campus completely like freezing cold. Everyone's like, are you okay? And every single person who knows me or doesn't know me Someone who's part of the MSA or some random stranger is like, can I get you a jacket? I'm like, I don't need a jacket. <laughs> right? And I walk in and give a talk. And, I, and I'm just thinking to myself, subhanAllah, like, this is just one moment of that nefsical arrogance and confidence that just gets in the way of your own well-being. Right? And that's my mother, right? And for some of us, it's your mother, it's your father, it's your friend, it's your spouse, it's whoever. It's, you know. But then what about, subhanAllah, with Allah? Like, how many things does Allah tell us to do something? In Surah Hujurat, Allah actually addresses this. He says, Lo It's amazing. He says, if the Prophet ﷺ, if everything was switched and he had to listen to you, like you were the ones deciding what was right or wrong, Allah said, listen to this, You would hate it. You would hate it. There's a mercy in Allah prescribing things for us. And if we don't recognize that mercy is there, and we think that, that that prescription is like, it's, it's like overbearing and shackling and this and this and this. We're not realizing how many mistakes are waiting for us on the other side of absolute liberty of choice. Like how many mistakes, okay? Spiritually, many of us are like children. You wouldn't give a five-year-old kid the keys to a car. You wouldn't give them the ability. We just now, my wife and I had a conversation about Musa. Mahreen was like, you know, we've reached an important milestone in our, in our parenting. I said, what? She goes, we're finally at the age 
where we can go take a nap and our son is awake by himself. And I said, what makes you, what makes you realize that? She's like, he got a plate when he got himself food. Like he took chips out of the pantry. So I don't know if you guys realize, no one's reacting, which means I'm you have kids. So let me explain. When your kids want food, they go through a stage where the world is their plate. The carpet that you just bought, the table that's wood and they're eating a popsicle, everything is just their plate, okay? And you have to call the steam, you and the steam person, the person who comes and steams and whatever, like you're like best friends. Like you're basically mahram at this point. Like you're like, you know, just bring my sister, let's go. So, can I get a discount? <laughs> so the other day he got, he climbed the counter, he did like this amazing, mashallah, push up, very athletic, mashallah, make for him. And he grabs a plate and he goes and he gets the chips and he puts chips on the plate, again, with no, like, no prompting. And my wife is like, wow, like I can take a nap now because I'm not gonna have to worry about waking up to a carpet that used to be white and is not anymore. Okay, but many of us, the confidence that we should have in our own spiritual ability is like the confidence you should have in Musa. Like a five year like, okay, I can't completely figure this out on my own. I need that help. I need that guidance. I need that classroom, right? I need to be around people. Why is community so important? Because it makes spirituality easier. It makes religion easier, right? Try fasting tomorrow by yourself. Don't, because it's end of Shabbat, so you shouldn't do, but try and then try fasting next week which one's easier of course why is next week easier than tomorrow because you're going to be surrounded by people doing it try coming here tomorrow night Tarawih is going to be from inshallah 9.30 ish uh, 9.45 ish to like 11 anyone want to come here tonight 9.45 to 11 pray for an hour and 30 minutes by ourselves people are like ah, you know I got laundry in the washing machine I got I gotta go and you know catch up on the show this and that next week masjid's packed why because everyone's coming, right? So there are so many elements that keep us grounded in our faith that we try to shed for the sake of like this weird, like, like nefsy thing. But if we can just humble ourselves and just get with the program and say, you know what? I'm gonna do my best. I don't know everything and I need help. If I can admit those three things, you're in good hands and you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to try. That's it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gives us that description of the hypocrites. And then he finishes with the first command of the Qur'an. He, well, he finishes this passage with the first command of the Qur'an. What's the first command of the Qur'an, everybody? This is a great exercise, okay? What would you, if someone, if someone comes up here tonight and takes their shahada, no pressure, by the way, if, <laughs> if you're not Muslim yet. But it'd be kind of cool if you did that. Uh, someone comes up here and takes your shahada. And, and they come up to you afterwards. Like they find you and they're like, hey, I just became Muslim. Like, what should I do? Like, what, what should I? Tell me something. What should I do? What would you tell them? What's the first thing you would tell someone? Read. Okay, good. That's good. All right? A little bit, a little bit Sunday school. I like it. Okay. Iqra. Okay, good. So chronologically, that's the first one. But we also believe in Islam, this is an important point to note. We believe that the, the order of the Quran as it stands as a text, as a book, is also, is divine. Okay? That Jibreel, alayhi salam, when he met with the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Ramadan every year, and they, re they reviewed the Quran that he knew to that point, and then in the last year of his life, salam, they reviewed it twice that there was a, a, a tartib session that was happening, like an organization session. So even though that was the first chronologically, it doesn't stand as the first in sequence. This next one is the first one. So read is good, yeah. Okay, nice. So you know the next verse? Yeah, close. Okay, good, good, mashallah. Yeah, very good, excellent. So you use the Arabic word, but I love that. Show them how to pray, worship. I like the word for ibadah, I like devotion. Because worship is one thing, like the outside of it is worship, but the inside is devotion, right? Like you're devoting yourself in that moment. You could be doing anything, but you're praying to Allah. The first command of the Quran that Allah gave, after talking about three groups, two of which were misguided, one was guided, is he said what? Worship. Ya ayyuhannas, u'budu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum, walladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattakum. Oh, you people, oh, humanity, worship your Lord who created you. The first command of the Quran is teaching us something very important about worship. 
Have you guys ever heard the phrase spiritual but not religious? Okay. Again, sounds great in theory. Sounds great in theory. It's like a person who wants to become like an athlete with no training and no practice. I would love that. I would love that. I would not be here right now, right? I know I might, inshallah, okay? Or a person wants to become wealthy without working. Like, there's a few, okay, celebrities, but if you want to be able to earn, you have to work. This is kind of one of the things that's there, yeah? I would love to graduate programs without going to class. Some of you are like, did that, okay? <laughs> I would love to be able to yield the benefits of something without putting in the work. That's the lazy part of me talking, yes? Do we all agree? Sometimes don't you just want like food now, like right here, instead of going out and getting it? Why do you think Grubhub exists? Why do you think DoorDash exists? Because human beings want things without doing stuff. And we're willing to pay. I was in a room one time with a family member who shall remain unnamed, it wasn't Musa, who ordered a Starbucks drink from Grubhub, okay? It's already offensive enough that it's Starbucks. And when Sohba opens, you'll know why, okay? People ask me, what's your favorite drink from Starbucks? I'm like, iced tea or the water, all right? Nothing coffee. Ordered a Starbucks drink that was maybe $4, and then with the delivery charge and the tip, it ended up being over $10. Why? And this is a day where there was nothing going on. Why? Because that's the nature of the human being. We are lazy. Like, we'll take it. You know what I mean? That's why these delivery services are so incredible. Because they capitalize on our laziness. Allah Ta'ala is saying that if a person wants to become spiritually close to Allah, if they want to have the strength to make the right decisions in times where there's a fork in the road, if they want to have the strength to be able to hold themselves back when they're struggling, the patience to hold their tongue when they want to say something, the ability to drop their gaze when they see something, if they want all of those amazing virtues, like the stuff that we look at and we're like, wow, I want to have that. He says, what? You have to worship. The rewards only come at the end of the hard work. And for us in Islam, devotion is the training. Fasting is the training. Praying is the training. Many of us, we, we, we try to rationalize this stuff. Well, why would I do that? What do I get from it? Tell me the tangible benefit. I don't even understand what I'm saying. Well, realize that even if you don't understand what the motion is doing for you, that your trainer gave you, it's still benefiting you. Sure, if you understand, it's better, right? I don't know every muscle that my trainer knows. They're like, just do this. Take this weight, put it there, lift it like that. I'm like, okay. It's going to help your back. I'm like, really? I'm feeling it in my... And he's like, it's going to help your back. Right? It's not, my, it's not my job to dissect everything and figure it out. Allah Ta'ala is saying, if you stand and pray five times a day, you're going to gain something that you don't have. If you give from your wealth every year, Allah is saying, I promise you're going to get something you don't have. If you fast, if you make hajj, if you avoid those things that are detrimental to your heart, you're going to have spiritual insight that you otherwise would not have. And the saddest thing is that if we don't devote ourselves to Allah, we miss out and we don't even know what we're missing out on. It's like thinking that the best burger ever is a Big Mac. Right? Not that we should eat that. Okay? Especially if you eat Zabiha only. Although I don't know if there's any meat in it to begin with, to be honest with you. But, okay? Or it's like thinking that the best version of something is like the lowest one. Like, why would you ever recommend that? If that's all you know, that's the height of your experience, and you think that's the best thing ever, ajib, right? May Allah protect us from that. Engaging in worship raises the ceiling of your experience with Allah. That's why you sit there after Umrah, after Hajj, after Ramadan, 27th night, and you're like, what am I feeling? It's a new frontier. You have to give yourself the chance, though. Allah Ta'ala finishes up this beautiful passage by reminding us to worship. If your life is struggling, if it's crumbling, if there are moments where you feel like you can't tell up from down, ask yourself one question. How's my prayer? How is it? If my prayer is all out of sorts, if it's just out of whack, I'm not going to have the ability to right the ship. I won't. My compass is off of north. I won't know where to go, right? 
But if my prayer is there, I promise you, Allah promises that you have strength and resolve and determination and foresight and insight. You know how we call it like a gut check, gut feeling, intuition? It's not that, man. Allah gives you the ability to see things, to understand. You connect to him, all of a sudden you're like making the right choices. You're avoiding the wrong things. You start to see the world in different ways. You know, it's crazy, man. SubhanAllah, I'll finish up with one last story. Um, there was a brother of mine, a friend of mine. This happened again on Saturday. You guys ever been on the on the on the runway uh, to take off and your flight gets delayed? Best feeling ever, right? <laughs> you know what they said? Oh, this is the worst. You guys ready? It was 10 a.m. My flight was supposed to leave at 10:20, and they're like, "Yeah, there's something. Um, we gotta take it off the wing. Don't worry, it's not necessary to fly." I'm like, "This is not the thing that you want to hear, right? We're about to fly in the air." Don't worry, it's not necessary to fly. It's just this piece of foam that we have on there. I don't even know why. The pilot says this. We're just going to take it off to fly because it's loose. I was like, this is great. So I texted my wife. I'm like, I love you. Just F that. <laughs> so then he goes. <laughs> Everyone's like, okay, cool. And there's like a silence. Everyone's just like chill. It's 10.07 or something. And he's like, we should be off, uh, we should be off in the air by the, by the top of the hour. Okay, for those of you who don't understand Caucasian, that's 11 a.m. now. Okay, that's 53 minutes. Now, we're not sitting in the terminal. We're not sitting at the gate. We're sitting in a plane. And it's like hot. The AC is broken. Like, whatever. It's just not comfortable. So everyone starts losing it. They're like, what? Are you serious? Blah, blah, blah. And people are upset. And I got to admit, I was upset. I had some downloaded episodes of some show that I'm watching, Halal, inshallah. And I started doing math. I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I, like, I need two more episodes now because I timed this perfectly, okay? when all of a sudden they're like, okay, flight attendants, please prepare. You know, so everyone starts to get ready. We're excited to take off. And as we start to move, I get a text message from a brother who needed to reach me. It was like one of those decisions where it was like, you had to respond in three minutes. It was a very serious thing. And because I'm sitting there and I see his message and he's like, this is very urgent. Please, please respond. I responded and I, it didn't hit me until we were in the air that had my plane taken off, I would have not been reachable. And that person would have not been able to reach me when they needed it. And their, their situation would have gotten bad. And I said, SubhanAllah, maybe this person's need kept this plane on the ground, right? There's an amazing story, man, that, that Mufti Kamani, it happened to him. I told it one time, it's like a long story. All the Kalam students, you guys have heard it. Basically, Mufti Kamani, this is a lot, I can't tell because it's so long. I don't want to ruin it, but Mufti Kamani had a really serious uh, uh, situation. He had to come back home from Houston, Texas. Um, he tried to change his flight. He tried to get a flight at the counter. He showed up to the airport something like 30 minutes before. Again, I'm butchering the story. I want to tell you it's really dramatic. There was traffic on the way, they showed up. There was like 20 minutes to take off. It was like the worst thing that you can imagine. He goes to the counter to buy the ticket. And the lady says, look, I can't sell you the ticket here. You gotta buy it where? At the gate, at the gate now, like at the gate. So if, if you have a chance, it's gonna be there. She's like, let me just print you a fake boarding pass for a flight, like to Miami or something. Give this to you and then go and see if they'll sell you one. So Mufti Sahib, he goes and he says that, and this happened like six months ago. He goes and he goes to the gate and he's like, hi, I'd like to buy a ticket. And they're like, beep. And he just goes on. They're like, go ahead. And he's like, what? He's like, this isn't even for this flight. She's like, just go ahead. He goes on. He sits down. I know everyone feels really safe to fly now. He sits down. No, this is crazy. He sits down and he said that uh, there was a person in the seat next to him who uh, I think he was wearing some sort of like army fatigue or something, some sort of army uniform. And so he's like, okay. And if you're like us, you know, like any of the Fatima instructors, like we just put our headphones on. It's just a visual cue. <laughs> so put the headphones on, don't talk. Just, you know, we, we talk for a living, we listen for a living. 
If I get a chance to unplug, you do you, right? Proud of you, right? Keep reading. And so he says, I put my headphones on, and the guy next to me, he leans over, and he like gestures with some sort of like candy. And he's like, obviously, noise-canceling headphones. Is the mommy there? Okay, good. All right, so leans over. Now, I'm okay. I just want to make sure mommy's there. So leans over with candy. And Mufti Kamani's like, God, man, like, I got to... Now I have to take my headphones off. So he like, you know, if there's a strategic way to do it. You don't take ever both headphones out. The minute you take both headphones out, you're going to have a three-hour conversation. Now. The autobiography is coming. You need to... 10% removal. You're still listening. You're like, yes. And it needs to almost be going back in the ear as they're talking. This is really bad other. Okay, I'm sorry. Don't take this from me. This is just my nefs, okay? So he takes it off and the guy goes, would you like one? And Mufti Sabah said, look down. And he's like, normally I check the ingredients, you know, make sure that they're all halal. But I checked it out. It looked okay. Still, he's like, I didn't want it. But I didn't want to offend the guy. And Mufti Kamani travels like in a thobe and he's much like got his beard and his kufi. He's like, I'm very visibly Muslim, so... I took it and I ate it, put my headphone back in my ear, and I'm like, okay, whatever. The guy looks at me, taps me on the shoulder, permission granted. Like, once you take the candy, it's done. Taps me on the shoulder, and then he takes the headphone off and he goes, and he asks the question that I'll tell you honestly, like, we hate the most, is like, what do you do for a living? Because you know, I'm Imam. A what? Imam. What? A Muslim pastor. Oh, okay. All right? So the guy goes, what do you do for a living? So Mufti Saab says, you know, I I'm, a, I'm a Muslim and I teach at an Islamic seminary at Qadam. And the guy starts crying. And he's like, I've been looking into Islam for God knows how long. And he goes, and just recently I prayed to God that if it's right, give me a sign. And give me somebody to like teach me. Now let's go back to the beginning. Mufti Saab does not have a boarding pass for this one. Okay? His boarding pass says Miami, Florida. He's going to Dallas, Texas. He's not supposed to be there. How many, and then the traffic and all that. I mean, I didn't tell the story because we don't have time with Maghrib. How much was traversed? How many things were broken down? How many walls were just obliterated because of the dua of the heart of one person who's not even Muslim yet? But he's sincerely calling upon Allah. You see what worship can do? It gives you that ability. Like you have to learn to trust Allah more than you trust yourself. Oh Allah, don't put me in charge of my affairs. Be even for one blink of the eye, the dua. The dua that we find in the, in the hadith and the akhbar. Don't give me even one moment where I'm in charge of myself. Because oh Allah, I trust you more than I trust me. Right? Dua al-istikhara and things like that. So this is the end of this first passage, inshallah. We'll conclude here. We ask Allah Ta'ala to soften our hearts and to make our hearts receptive to the Qur'an. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to purify our hearts and to give us the ability to practice everything that we've read from here. We ask Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala to make our hearts uh, connected to the Qur'an, that the Qur'an washes over our hearts and purifies our hearts, and that the Qur'an nourishes our hearts and sustains our hearts, and that when we think about anything that we're going through, the Qur'an gives us answers. When we are engaged with anything that troubles us, the Qur'an gives us relief. When we are troubled by anything, the Qur'an gives us happiness. When we are saddened by anything, the Qur'an gives us relief. And the Qur'an takes away our anxieties and our difficulties. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to follow the examples of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to deliver us to this beautiful month of Ramadan, to allow us to benefit from it, and to allow us to be able to make the most advantage of it, and to have it be as transformational as possible. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik, nashallahu wa la ilaha illa antina, astaghfiruka wa tubu ilayk.